Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I have the privilege today of interviewing my colleague, Dr. Jonathan Bass. Jonathan is professor of history and university historian here at Samford University. He's a wonderful historian, uh, perhaps best known for his book, Blessed Are the Peacemakers, Martin Luther King, Jr. It's a story of really about the letter from Birmingham jail, nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. Holds a Ph.D. from the University of Tennessee, a bachelor and master's degree from University of Alabama at Birmingham, a wonderful teacher, scholar. And right now we have uh, asked him to, for the several years he's been working on, a history of Samford University in view of a big anniversary we have coming up. So, Jonathan, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. It's great to be with you. I want to talk about your current research project, and that is the history of Sanford University, uh, which used to be known as Howard College. That'll be known to some of our listeners, but not others. So tell us a little bit about the very beginning of Howard College. Well, Howard College was founded in 1841, at the very end, end of December of 1841. Classes actually don't start until January of 1842. Uh, this was something that Alabama Baptists were very interested in doing, having quality education for young men. Their first attempt at doing this was in 1836 with a manual labor institute. That was really the popular trend in education for a time during the last part of the 18th and early 19th centuries. But by the time the Baptists of Alabama got involved in it, it had gone out of vogue. And basically what it was was that you would intend uh, uh, classes mainly in the afternoon hours, and during the morning hours you were engaged in manual labor. You, Actually working, you, agriculture yes. or some Agri- other kind of – Agriculture. You were, yeah. pl- you were plowing the fields, planting. Uh, it was hard work. And but what they found was that uh, a lot of the, the young men were not interested in in trying to pursue both. So the the institution really struggled uh, for a couple couple of years, limped along, and then finally uh, disbanded. And ultimately, it, it left a bad taste in the mouth of a lot of Alabama Baptists, and they were very fearful about another endeavor in uh, in higher education. They did jump back into it. Uh, but they did it with women's education and the founding of Judson College, in eight, which began in 1839. Now, all this was taking place in a town called Marion, Alabama. Say a little bit about the context of Marion. Sure, sure. Uh, Marion, Alabama was a very small town. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's in the Alabama Black Belt, and Black Belt, of course, refers to that fertile crescent of soil that, that runs from Georgia into through Alabama into Mississippi, where they discovered uh, in the 1830s was ideal for planting cotton. So if we go a, 20 years before the founding of Howard College, Marion is, is nothing more than a frontier town. It's, it's, it's wide open, uh, and 
and there's all sort of transient people that are there. Uh, there are lots of saloons and houses of ill repute uh, around town, uh, and a remarkably large number for a town for a town that small. But uh, eventually what happens is that the, the, the settlers discover how to cultivate this black, sticky soil that's down there. That, and it takes them a while to figure that out. So, uh, so by the 1830s, that is that uh, soil is under cultivation, and of course they're planting, planting cotton. Uh, labor force is in, is uh, obviously is, is slavery among the larger planter class. Uh, yeoman farmers are doing the work uh, themselves, and so that by the time we get into the late 1830s, uh, Marion, Alabama, just like other towns in the Black Belt. Uh, in Alabama had become prosperous. And you can find this trend all across the country as uh, as people move on to the frontier. They have left civilization behind. They've left their institutions behind. They've left the church. They've left law. And increasingly, as as the uh, economy begins to boom, uh, settle, you know, frontier settlements become, uh, a, you know, a little bit uh, more civilized. And with that, you have the founding of, of churches and the building of church buildings. At the same time, you start seeing the building of, of schools, the founding of schools, small academies. And, uh, and so that's sort of the context of uh, So some of schools that would have preceded Howard College would be places like Furman College, became university in South Carolina, or Mercer uh, in Georgia. So we were a part of that wave, in a way, of education institution building. Correct, and and again, you, you see it uh, all up and down the frontier. Remember, this is this is the old Southwest, uh, is, and this is the Alabama frontier, and this is also you know a, a place where uh, people go on the mission field. This is this is the missionary frontier, and one of the things that that brings things together for Howard College of with with the people in place coming together is that is that very fact and uh, uh Samuel Sterling Sherman he went by Sterling Sherman was uh, the ultimately the first uh principal and then president of of Howard College Howard Howard College really doesn't function as a college for a few years it's it's mainly young boys probably 9 to 15 years old uh and uh, so that, what we call maybe a prep school it, it's it's definitely a a a prep school uh and then they slowly start adding on it but but Sherman is from Vermont and uh and and grew up uh, with a congregationalist background now that's interesting in itself uh being from Vermont coming to Alabama being a congregationalist to lead a baptist founded school right well it, he he becomes baptist while he is in college and this this is these are some very interesting connections uh, uh sherman goes to middlebury college in in vermont which uh which had a direct connection to yale and many of the the first presidents at Middlebury College had were members of Timothy Dwight's faculty, who Timothy Dwight being the president of Yale and one of the the the, the central figures to the Second Great Awakening, certainly in the Northeast, and his call for moral living, and where revivals break out on campus. So, uh, Middlebury College is very much there is very much patterned after Yale. Their curriculum looks very similar to Yale. And that's the experience that that Sherman has. Uh, he he uh, he he has a conversion experience while he is in college. 
uh, ultimately you know, becomes a Baptist. For health reasons, he moves south. He works for a time at the University of Alabama as a tutor, and then he's hired to come over and really start Howard College. Uh, and so he, what he brings with him is, uh, is, is this idea of, that he learned is New England education that's very much connected you know, through, Mary, through Middlebury. So if you look at the early curriculum of Howard College, it looks like Middlebury, which Middlebury looks like, which, which looks like Yale. And so he's there on the ground in, in really, you know, he's hired in December of 1841, and he's teaching classes by January of 1842. Hit the ground running, we call that. Yes, <laughs> yes very much so. Now, you've mentioned Timothy Dwight and the Second Great Awakening. The First Great Awakening we associate with figures like George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards. That was in the 1730s and 40s and 50s, I suppose. Now, the Second Great Awakening uh, is early 19th century. Timothy Dwight, late 18th, early 19th century. Timothy Dwight, uh, talk a little bit about the Second Great Awakening generally and how that ties into the history of the beginning of Howard College. Right, as you know, Timothy Dwight was Jonathan Edwards' grandson, and uh, and is uh, president of uh, of Yale College. And in seventy nine in seventeen ninety seven, he begins preaching a series of of sermons, a, a call to moral living. And you know, we have to look that in the context of of what has just happened in seventeen ninety. Uh, you know, the the revolution is is over. And uh, and if you go and look at at uh, America's church going population, it is around five percent. Mm. Okay, and not so, very good. Not very good. <laughs> you know, you know, you get asked when's the most godless time in American history. You know, maybe look at seventeen ninety. And and what was needed was another revival. And uh, part of the concern I think through this time period is the fact. That there are so many young men living immoral lives, and and so it's interesting that the, that this uh, this first round of revivals that are in the Northeast are centered around college campuses and among young college men, uh, and so uh, that's one part of it. The other part of it is the uh, revival in the Northwest, which then would have been uh, which would have been Western New York and. Uh, figure like Charles Grandison Finney. Charles Finney uh, uh, is from uh, Oneida, uh, uh, New York, and be- and begins his ministry there. He's he's got a background as a lawyer, and I know people often quip that a lot of times uh, he felt, they felt like they were uh, being interrogated by a prosecutor uh, during his sermons, and uh, and and certainly uh, if you've read some of those, they, they can be pretty brutally harsh, uh, which was which was probably good for for the time period. Uh, he you know he comes a little bit he comes a little bit later. But uh, Finney is, 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 is a central figure on this, uh, and one of the other principal players in the founding of Howard College that uh, if, if Samuel, you know, Samuel, Sherman, Samuel Sterling Sherman is serving as, the, as our primary educator, the person that is really the facilitator for Howard College, the person that actually names the institution, is James Devotee. And James Devotee has a Presbyterian background. He is from Oneida County, New York. And so he is, uh, he begins, he grew up there in the same neck of the woods as, as, as Charles Finney and was no doubt influenced by that. Uh, he was, he was born around 1813. Uh, and, um, he is going to leave, 
um, and go and, and plan on go, go, he's going to leave New York and plan on going in business with his uncle who lives in Savannah, Georgia. While he is in Savannah, he uh, has a conversion experience. His uncle happens to be Baptist. He is baptized by immersion, receives a call to the ministry, uh, attends Furman for a while, and then moves on to uh, to Alabama. Uh, apparently, he was he was a young man. He was very controversial. Apparently, uh, he doesn't stay in in his pulpits all too long. He uh, he's there at he's at his first job is at the First Baptist Church of Montgomery. He's there for a year. Uh, he was highly criticized for his wife being too devoted to fashion. Uh-oh. And uh, and uh, and so, but he moves on from there to uh, First Baptist Tuscaloosa. And then ultimately to Siloam Baptist Church in Marion. And so there, uh, again on the Alabama frontier, he's there and playing a pivotal role in bringing education. So at Howard College in 1842, with the founding of it, you have all three of the major strains of the Great Awake, Second Great Awakening coming together. You've got Timothy Dwight and his influence through Middlebury onto Samuel Sterling Sherman. You have a Presbyterian uh, who has become a Baptist minister uh, and has a connection there with Charles Finney, okay, and some of his ideas that uh, that ends up in Marion, and then the fact that you are there on the frontier uh, with the revivals that are in some ways extensions of what went on uh, in Kentucky in 1801. Most of the revivals uh, of the Second Great Awakening, the, the, the frontier revivals, revivals in the West, end up in Alabama uh, the most prominently during the 1830s, so in the decade leading up to the founding of Howard College. Fascinating. What was it like to be a student at Howard College in those early years in Marion? It was uh, it, it was very sparse. Uh, tuition was twenty five dollars uh, uh, per term. Uh, your room and board was uh, twelve dollars uh, a month, uh, and uh, and if you wanted washing done, uh, it was an extra dollar a month. Yeah. Okay, and that would also include some some custodial uh, custodial services. The again the 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 curriculum that they uh, that they worked from, as I mentioned earlier, was was very much like Middlebury's. is very much a classical education. Uh, they are taking. So they would learn Latin and Greek, perhaps. Yep. They are they are learning Latin and Greek, uh, and uh, and they are they are studying the classics. Uh, they study constitutional history. Okay, that was that was something that was very important to them. Obviously, uh, the sciences at the more advanced level, uh, they are uh, learning moral philosophy. Uh, they are learning. Um, some very interesting uh, religion classes. One of the things that, that all of the students for for years were required to take as senior was seniors were essentially apologetics classes. Mm-hmm. That is, as they were about, and it's usually that second term, as they are about to, to to leave Howard College, they wanted the, the, the President Sherman wanted to make sure those students were well equipped to defend their faith. That's interesting. And often the president taught those capstone courses, I think, in moral philosophy or apologetics. Well, it's, it's amazing to think about. Sterling Sherman was a chemist. He taught chemistry. He would teach Latin and Greek. 
and he would also teach the the philosophy moral philosophy classes and so he you know the president for for years for decades was the principal faculty member now let me ask you this question uh, of course this is happening in antebellum alabama south it's the period prior to the civil war and slavery is very much a part of the culture now i'm thinking particularly these people coming from vermont and new york and having to enter into a world that's in some ways quite different than the world in which they grew up. Talk a little bit about slavery and Howard College in the early days, and uh, how do we think about that now? Well, I think one of the things that's most fascinating is how acculturated uh, these these men from the North were, became once once that they are there. Uh, they they arrive. They are educated and arrive in the South before the intensity of the abolitionist movement that's going to sweep the North and find such a home in higher education. So they're going to be beyond those years when they're educated. Uh, and so they end up in the South, and um, and, it, and it's again, it's, this is a this is a phenomenon that's not exclusive to Howard College, and it's not exclusive to Marion. That there are a large number of Northerners that come during the first three decades of the 19th century to settle in the South. It is the mission field, and uh, the 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 fields are ripe for harvest, and and to bring civilization to and Christianity, of course to the wide open wide open frontier uh, so many of them are going to uh, purchase slaves or have slaves given to them on their own that's that's true with uh, with uh, sterling sherman the first president uh, before he leaves howard college he owns four slaves mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, and so uh, other ministers that come from the north, the predecessor of Judson, who was from Massachusetts, also uh, owned slaves. And so uh, they seem to be very much acculturated in this. It was uh, a, uh, you know, it's, it's very, it's a difficult time, very hard for us to, I think, comprehend today uh, of, uh, of, of holding another person in, in slavery, but it was a sense of, uh, holding a slave was a, a symbol of status for them. It's its property and uh, and uh, and so the, they seem to become part of as much of the old South as old Southerners did. Now the Civil War. Uh, what happened to Howard College during the Civil War? There were some special crises. I remember reading about the fires that happened; that the buildings were burned down. But how, how did the school survive that traumatic national, in a way, tragedy, but also uh, an event that so shaped our lives from then on? Well, Timothy, I think you you pegged it. Uh, the story of Howard College is a, just a struggle of survival for a number of of years, and uh, in regeneration, uh, they were felled by two major fires. Uh, the first one was in 1844, not long after the school started, and it occurred during the middle of the day, and so the the library and all the apparatus, scientific apparatus, was saved. And because of just quick thinking on the students and the townspeople, uh, the second fire occurred in 1854. It occurred at midnight, and uh, this was in Howard College's second building, uh, and it wiped out everything. Virtually every student that was living in the campus building at that time was injured in some ways. And then there is the the, the famous story of 
one of uh, President Talbert, Henry Talbert, was the successor to Samuel Sherman. Uh, Talbert's the second president of uh, of Howard College. He owned a slave by the name of Harry. When the fire broke out, Harry was told to run for his life, and he said, not until I wake up the boys. He, he lived in an office on the back of uh, Talbert's office. Uh, I'm sorry, he lived in a room on the back of Talbert's office and was essentially the custodian. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he awakened all the boys and ultimately perished in, in the fire. On the eve of the Civil War, Howard College's finances were as good as any time in its history. Uh, it was solid. You had a nice endowment. You had a, a layperson uh, from Sumter County that was providing uh, full scholarships for any young man that wanted to study for the ministry. And, uh, and so they were in, they were in good shape. Uh, but then, of course, the Civil War hits and, uh, and what you'll find is they try to, they, they try to keep things as normal as possible. The, the education continues, although to, uh, increasingly smaller numbers. And then, uh, ultimately they don't have enough young men that are going to, that are going to go to school there. Uh, the, the Confederates, uh, use, uh, the use the, uh, the the Howard College buildings as a hospital, mm-hmm. and those faculty that were still there on campus began educating the wounded young men that were that were there in the hospital ward. Uh, at the end of the Civil War, uh, the uh, the dormitories were used to house freedmen. Uh, which caused a, a great deal of consternation among the board of trustees, uh, and uh, and so as as we emerge from uh, the end of the Civil War, Howard College is completely wrecked. It's in financial ruins. It's in fiscal ruins, uh, and there's very little money to operate. And so it takes really the better part of a decade for them to get back up on their feet enough to to start uh, to start growing again. Now, when you think about it, that time, the culture, the context, it was a remarkable vision these people had uh, to plant a school like Howard College, deeply rooted in the biblical tradition, in classical learning, uh, to try to do what they could to improve the life of those students who would come there and to do it with a very strong uh, missional evangelical vision of what they were about. Uh, and then the struggle that you've talked about, the, the very difficult uh, strain of keeping a school like that just alive in the midst of uh, very difficult, uh, even uh, uh, almost unbelievable circumstances. Take us forward just a little bit uh, into the period of Reconstruction, uh, because it was during that time that the Howard College actually made the move to leave Marion and come to Birmingham, Alabama. Say a little bit about that transition. Throughout Reconstruction, the college continues to continues uh, to to struggle. Uh, a transformative figure in the life of Howard College is uh, James T. Murphy, and Murphy becomes uh, becomes president of, of Howard College um, early eighteen seventies, and will be there for a very long time. In fact, when Howard College leaves. He will stay in Marion and uh, stay on the old campus and found uh, Marion Military Institute, and uh, and so uh, the 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 event that really I think uh, precipitates the the move and there's there are many but the story I think that's that's most interesting is that uh, prior to the Civil War in somewhat I guess you know we can 
with hindsight, we can look back and say it was, a, it was kind of a short term. Uh, they, 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 they weren't very the board of trustees were not very far sighted in in what they were doing in terms of raising money, and they sold scholarships and uh, subscriptions. You gave a uh, hundred dollars, you could get a, a full. A scholarship, four-year scholarship to uh, to Howard College, and they were doing this mainly to raise money for a theological program and and to hire a theological chair. Well, they issued these certificates that guaranteed that uh, that you would have that. Well, uh, one gentleman wanted to uh, send his uh, his uh, grandson or uh, to Howard College, and uh, uh, came and tried during Reconstruction and tried to cash in on that and, and send his son. The university, the college didn't have enough money to, to send him. Ultimately, it goes to court, and the Alabama Supreme Court rules in his favor, in his favor uh, that Howard College must do this, uh, and it ultimately what it does, it sends the college into bankruptcy. Mm. Uh, and uh, the uh, literally the, the on the steps of the – Perry County Courthouse in Marion, Howard College is sold uh, to the highest bidder, and it just so happens uh, that uh, two of the board of trustees, uh, uh, very renowned citizens of Marion and uh, very active Baptist layman, uh, Wilkerson and, and uh, uh, Lovelady, are going to step forward and buy the college and then and then deed it back. Uh, and so by this point, this is. By, all, by the time all this happens, you know we've uh, uh, Howard is still in in just financial ruins uh, through all of this stuff, and so they began looking for a place to move. And uh, you know, as you know, the, the economy's transitioned after the Civil War. Uh, it's still agriculture, but the Black Belt is not as much of the center of economic activity as it as it once was. Uh, Bids came in from all over the state, from Mobile to Anniston to Bessemer, okay, and then several here in uh, in Birmingham. Ultimately, they were promised lots of money, lots of buildings, and uh, if they would move to, which was then a separate city of East Lake, Alabama, uh, which is now part of Birmingham, in 1887, which they did. President Murphy stays behind. And they come up, and almost immediately there is a financial panic. The steel industry, you know, the, the, the old quip in Birmingham is hard times come here first and stay the longest. And that's what they faced. Uh, and when classes began again uh, on the new campus in Eastlake, uh, they were in these horrible rundown buildings, and it just staggers along for a while. Uh, ultimately, they will begin collecting money and raising funds to build a campus. But if you talk to a lot of the uh, folks that, that went to school on the old Eastlake campus, you can tell you that uh, they were of sub-quality. There's a reason why none of these buildings still exist uh, on the old campus. is just completely gone because uh, they were all crumbling. They were built uh, to poor specifications when they finally came up in the early part of the 20th century. Well, you're working on the history of Sanford University, and you told me before our conversation you're up to 1910. Right. So we have a little history after that, so we've got to do a part two sometime. When you Absolutely. Tell us, uh, what will the shape of this history be? What, what's your aim? What you're trying to do? Well, I think it's centered around 
four things that, that, that were obvious for me in, in terms of the founding of Howard College and the journey that Howard College took, uh, both physically, uh, economically, looking at what the students and the faculty, what, the, what were the faculty teaching, what were the students learning, what were their spiritual lives like, uh, really looking at, at all of those and how that changes over time. But initially, originally, I think Fa- Howard College is founded on you know, four major principles that, that, that reflect the time period and also are, are absolutely timeless. Uh, it is founded as an institu- a Christian institution based on faith, uh, and it is a, is, is a broad, uh, traditional evangelical institution. Second is an emphasis on virtue, all right, and which fits the context of uh, the wide open frontier in educating young men. Uh, the third thing, of course, is intellect uh, and, and the importance of a classical education on the mind of these. And they thought that was just absolutely essential, what, whatever field you chose to go into, including ministers. Uh, and there's plenty of debate on whether ministers should have a classical education or if they should just study the, study the Bible. But uh, ultimately, they kind of won out, and that, uh, that was it. And the fourth thing, which reflects very much why the institution was named after a British reformer, most noted for his uh, his prison reform, but also education reform. And that, that fourth point is benevolence yeah. and uh, self-sacrifice and service. And they name it after this British reformer that had been dead for 50 years, yeah. John Howard, uh, and it was named by James DeBody. And it's not so much what he did as it is who he was, uh, that he was the type of example of a man that they wanted young men on the Alabama frontier to emulate, that he was very strong in his faith, uh, and he engaged in self-sacrifice in, in the name of Christ. Those four founding principles, I think, would do us well today, just the same. Uh, faith, virtue, learning, in the best sense of that word, in the classical tradition, and sacrifice and service. Uh, that's what we're still about, uh, I think, at Sanford University. And uh, I think of you in playing a very special role in this, uh, telling the story, helping us to remember. Uh, Cotton Mather was the great chronicler of the Puritans, and he once described a historian's vocation as being that of the Lord's Remembrancer, as he put it. Well, you're sort of uh, the Lord's Remembrancer for Howard College and Sanford University in this moment. And thank you, Jonathan, for your good work your diligent study, and your erudite uh, telling of our story. We need to hear it more. Thank you so much. Thank you, Timothy. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.